The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, for it's our anniversary again. I know. I don't want to say how many years, because then they'll be like, oh, Vena and Mike are old. 24. <laughs> that started in 96. April of 96. So, yeah. Every week for many, many years, we've been trying to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about something that is a super hot topic out there on the web. It's interesting that it's super hot all of a sudden because it's been going on for many, many years. And uh, unfortunately, with the proliferation of... Uh, experts, quote unquote, in this, uh, in this scenario. Uh, there has also been a proliferation of not good information. I kind of try to watch the forums and Facebook and whatnot when people ask subject to questions and then watch what kind of answers they get. And I go, just mm, not actually right. So uh, we're going to try and as much as possible, as many frequently asked questions as possible. We're going to try and address them today on real life real estate. I mean, it's kind of obvious why buying subject to is hot. Interest rates are what? Six and a half for homeowners, seven and a half, eight for investors. And there's millions of these two, two and a half, three and a half, four percent loans floating around out there. So I get it. I get why you guys want to know about them all of a sudden, but you need you need, you actually need to know about them, not not take your advice off of a uh, forum somewhere or from somebody who's done three of them and is now an expert. So helping me to um, answer your frequently asked questions is Kathy Russell. She is uh, on the man. She doesn't have an official title anymore. I don't know what to call her. She's, she's with North Carolina Rhea. You guys, you guys gave up your titles because I don't know, you were trying to be a socialist That's right. board or something. She's an, she's yeah, a, she's thanks, a board member. <laughs> she's, she's, she's equal. Board member. There you go. She's an equal board member <laughs> with the other board members of. For very egalitarian, very egalitarian. <laughs> yeah. Only, you realize only. Thanks, a board, Vina, for having me. Only, only a board and, full uh, of women would have done that. man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I was just thinking when I was trying to get, prepare mentally for this show, like, 
how does she do that every week? And now that I know it's been that long, it's even more mind-blowing. <laughs> I just don't know how you do it. Yeah, some of us can't just can't put something down once we've picked it up. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a blessing or a curse, <laughs> but uh, yeah, here we are. So, Kathy, you are a consultant, you're a certified mediator, you're a real estate investor, you're a now-retired attorney. Congratulations for putting that thing down. Thank you. <laughs> going, going kind of into the real estate world full-time. Um, so tell us a little bit about your own history just with the kind of deal we're talking about today, which is subject to deals. Sure. I uh, <clears throat> Yes, I finally did retire and get rid of the worst of my jobs. <laughs> uh, but before I did retire, uh, I was certainly in the triangle region of North Carolina, um, if, if not the state was sort of known as the go-to or preeminent attorney for subject to or really any creative deals and i think the reason for that is because i was actually an investor before i became an attorney so that made it a lot easier Mm -hmm. and of course with my natural penchant for timing i did retire right when subject to got hot (laughs) (laughs) Um, but luckily i am still able to you know really participate by i have a lot of students and, and coaching and presenting so i do still keep my foot in the game because I really do love it. And you can buy your own deal subject too. just because you're not helping other people do it. Doesn't mean you can't buy some of those Airbnbs you like <laughs> subject to the existing. Weirdly loan. enough, I don't do subject twos on my, so I, I always would tell people when, when they, they came to me for subject to deals, yes, I've closed hundreds or thousands of these, but I've never done one myself. I actually realized that's a complete lie. The first house I ever bought, was subject to, but I, of course, I had no idea that it was a subject to, and not, that terminology was not used. So, I've I've done very few of them in, in for myself. I, I don't, um, I, yeah, it's just um, I don't like to negotiate, so I I prefer to buy from wholesalers or something else. Ah, okay, okay. Um, so we have a whole list of things that you and I have both seen over and over and over again (laughs) on Facebook. I mean, sometimes people just walk up and ask the questions and that, that, that just keep coming up over and over and over again. And I want, we're going to try and tackle as many of those as we can, but we also want to tackle uh, questions directly from listeners while we've got you here. Uh, number to call is 877-772-9658, or you can send it via email to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk to Melissa, who is calling from Charlotte, North Carolina. Melissa. All right. Melissa, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Oh, hello. Thank you. <laughs> You're I don't have a question. Actually, I'm just calling in to listen. Oh, okay. um, Just to... To, to learn. Well, so, let me let me uh, let me tell you a little yeah. secret, Melissa, that'll keep you from having to hold that phone up to your ear for the next uh, forty-two minutes. WMKV okay. actually has an app on the App Store, and you can install it on your phone. And then every week, if you can remember to tap it at uh, five o'clock Eastern time, mm-hmm. uh, you can do that. I'm looking for it on my phone so I can tell you what the exact name is, but okay. you can uh, just go to the app store and look up WMKV, like Maple Knoll Village, and you can install it right on your phone. Now, in the meantime, you're free to stay on hold and listen, but this might turn out to be easier for you. 
in the long yes, run? I think so. Yeah, so you listen every week. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your call, Melissa. Don't don't hang up on her. Might just put her on hold. Thank you. Okay. So um, with that, I, I, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. <laughs> we'll, then we will delve into both these frequently asked questions about subject twos and also your questions at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or at uh, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kathy Russell, who's out of the out of the Triangle region there in North Carolina. For those of you who were wondering uh, where she does her business. And we're talking today about subject twos. We're answering your questions at 877-772-9658. Or we are also... Uh, taking emails, askvina at gmail.com. And I have a whole bunch of questions that I want to hear Kathy's answer to as well. Um, Kathy, I'm going to go ahead and go straight to the live questions that we're getting, uh, cause Louisa has one that's really, it's really common and it's kind of a conundrum where sometimes people get different advice on this and I want to know what you think. She says, does Kathy recommend doing subject to under a land trust with the beneficiary as an LLC? I have someone telling me to get my subject twos under the trust. I got the paperwork to do it from a training. Name the trust like the property and assign my, oh my gosh, assign my LLC as the beneficiary. (laughs) But the attorney said, why? The LLC will be the one receiving benefits and they can trace that your LLC is the owner. Oh my gosh. See, Louisa, this is why you don't get information off the internet. (laughs) The attorney does subject to, but doesn't recommend doing it under a trust. He says, it's like I'm hiding something. I don't even know how to start to untangle that. (laughs) Neither do I. There's a lot going on there. I will start by saying that is way overcomplicated. Um, I would find a different attorney. You you can find an attorney who will have a, a different view toward those. I, I guess my biggest problem with that question, which I'm not even going to attempt to answer, is if you're not doing it in a trust, what is that attorney recommending? Because I can't imagine what it might be. Um, but let me just say this. Yes to the trust. Uh, always always do subject to using a trust yes to naming it i i just for really simplicity uh, i always name them something like the one two three green street trust uh, just use the address and all that um about the llc as the beneficiary of the trust let me tell you this in, in the way i do it in order to keep legally safe um is that this in my documents the the seller remains the beneficiary of the trust. I know that sounds tricky, um, but there there is paperwork to effectuate that and, and still protect you as the buyer and the seller. But doing it that way keeps you completely protected from a lot of the most common concerns with subject to. So I think I answered most of the things in that question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just I just need to say, how in the world... Would someone find out that your LLC was the beneficiary of a land trust without literally subpoenaing the trust? It's not like you record the trust yeah, somewhere. Means, <laughs> it's, you know, it, trusts are private documents. No one sees them. No one knows who's the beneficiary. I, I really think, I really do think a very, very 
important and key element if you are going to do subject twos is you absolutely have to find an attorney who not only understands them um, but is is willing to do them in a way that protects everybody and it, i don't you know i certainly don't want to talk about any any attorney or legal professional but i'm i would question uh, how how well the how much understanding is going on there of of a subject too and and what really needs to be done yeah that's um i i would go Louisa, to your local real estate association and find out which attorney people who are closing lots of subject twos go to. Because I think you're going to find it's the same name mm-hmm. over and that over. Would, yep. And that then, would be my exact advice. Is, is Exactly. Yep. Um, so another question from... Uh, Christopher, he says, can you depreciate a single family home? So, so purchase subject to a first mortgage. If you've engaged a property manager to list it for rent and have placed the property for rent, but it has not yet been rented. Okay. So this is kind of a tax question. This is like, I bought the property. I, I put it into service, but it hasn't yet actually been rented. And I think you can only start depreciating it after it's been placed into service. I think that's true as well. And to be honest, Christopher, you are a little out of my league there. I can tell you, I think, unless y'all prove me wrong, anything you want to know about how to find, deal with sellers, set up, legally protect yourself, document, close a subject to transaction. And I can give you practical advice on certain other aspects and certain tax aspects but when you say the word depreciation my (laughs) ears start to hurt because i um don't i am not a tax attorney so yeah i I think you're out of my league on that one i think i think um anera might be listening who's a cpa or maybe scott's listening who's a cpa so maybe he can throw in an answer to this at what point does christopher get to start depreciating his subject to property because he definitely can the question is, at what point is it officially in service and he mm-hmm. can do that? Uh, okay, so Kathy, back to some of these questions that uh, you and I had come up with that uh, just, I don't know, they seem to be like over and over and over again. Each new generation of real estate investors who want to do subject mm-hmm. twos, and it seems like there's a new generation every two weeks, is asking <laughs> these same questions. And the first one... yeah. And this one, this one surprised me the first time I heard it, but then I kind of, I was like, oh, I understand what you don't understand is how do, how does someone sell a house that has a mortgage on it without paying off the mortgage? Because I thought that the mortgage just automatically got paid off at closing. Right. And I think um, two things there. Number one, at a quote unquote normal closing, yes, indeed, um, that does happen. They they pay off the mortgage and, and they issue title insurance and it's done. But this is not a normal closing. And so it is a very specific and special closing. And I think the where that question comes from, perhaps, is that people, and especially newer investors, don't understand uh, the, the debt structure of a real estate loan. People often think that a mortgage, or if you happen to be in a state where that's called a deed of trust, let me just say those are essentially the same things. And for purposes of this conversation, I'm going to use the word mortgage. Um, Many people 
just think the mortgage is the debt. The, your mortgage is your debt, and that is just not true. So there's two separate documents underlying your real estate debt. One is a promissory note. A promissory note is a private contract between you and your lender or the seller and their lender. So if if you just had a promissory note and someone defaulted on it, you would have to go to court and sue them to recover money owed. So in other words, if if I sold Dina a car um, for $20,000 and she gave me a promissory note for $20,000, she defaulted I'd, I'd have to sue her to get that money back so for real estate because banks really didn't like that level of exposure they are what are protected with the mortgage a mortgage is simply a security instrument that um, gives the bank security so that if you don't pay your promissory note they don't have to go to court and sue you to get money back they have security they have the house they can foreclose, and they can take the house. So the note exists no matter what happens to the mortgage. You aren't uh, in a subject two. You don't assign the note. You just assign the mortgage, the security. And uh, Sorry, and I'm using that. I'm not even saying that right. You don't assign anything. <laughs> they are taking subject to the mortgage, but that promissory note stays in place, and the lender can still sue on it, no rights are taken away from the bank because no matter – you have a private contract with a seller where you contractually obligate yourself to make the payments, but as between the lender and the seller, the lender is still looking to the seller. The obligation is not extinguished. That obligation remains. Mm-hmm. And if it's not – if payments are not made, the bank can still foreclose. Mm-hmm. And and even though you That's now own the house – question and it's well, and and, right. and now you own the house, right? The seller no longer owns it. He's still legally obligated on the note. You have made a separate agreement with him that you will make the payments on the note, but that doesn't change his agreement right. with the bank. You now own the house that the mortgage is attached to, which means if you don't make the payments on the note, the bank can take away your house, even though you didn't sign the mortgage. <laughs> You didn't. You didn't sign the thing that said, exactly. hey, "Hey, bank, you can take away my house," but you took it subject to that pre-existing agreement. And you know, I think sometimes piece of people. Yeah, that's a, go ahead. It's a big question to answer in just a couple minutes, but you're right. The bottom line is, no rights of the bank are taken away. They, they at the end of the day, they still get to take the house back if the payments aren't made. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's that's probably the easiest quick answer you can give without being really yeah. detailed and explaining what's a promissory note, what's a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, you explained that pretty well. Um, yeah, and I think I think another place where people get kind of mixed up is they don't always fully think about what the difference is between a mortgage and a deed. I think sometimes they think exactly. like somehow they're all combined into one, and so you can't transfer one without the other or something like i mean a deed gives you title a mortgage is security for usually a loan against that title those things can absolutely transfer separately so yeah absolutely a deed a deed has no impact on the underlying debt of the promissory note and deed of trust Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay um 
we're going to take another quick break. My, my, my inbox is just like loading up with questions and I can't read them as fast as <laughs> I'm going to, we're going to take a little break partly so Vina can catch up on her reading here. And thanks by the way, <laughs> listeners for all these great questions. These are coming in to ask Vina at gmail.com. You can also give us a call 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Kathy Russell, board member of NCREA, retired attorney, consultant, investor, all that all that stuff is on her plate. And uh, we're talking today about subject twos because, I don't know, we were talking about it and there's just a lot of... It, Sometimes incomplete information is as bad as bad information uh, out there on the web. And we thought we would spend a show trying yeah. to straighten some of that stuff out. And uh, actually, um, Kathy, one of our alert lis- listeners uh, caught that you are doing an all-day online class about Subject 2s on uh, its week from Saturday. And uh, his question was, how does this class compare to the subject to class that you taught me, me, Vina taught? Mm-hmm. And uh, I will I will answer that, Anthony, by saying, um, don't you think it's useful to hear different experts talking about the same thing over and over? I do. I mean, can't, can't, can't. Anthony, you listen and then you tell us. <laughs> you tell us how, how different it was. Well, I'd, yes. I'd be kind of interested. It's a, it's a little intimidating, you know, uh, following a Vena class, if you want to know the truth. Well, your your focus is, is much more um, objective. Because, you know, every time I do a subject two deal, it's it's my deal. If, if it succeeds or fails, it's completely 100% on me. You have done them in a lot of different situations for a lot of different clients who had different goals and different ways that they did that they wanted to do things and different exit strategies. So in one sense, you're kind of more experienced than I am because you have just dealt with more people who were doing them. And you're you're way more focused on kind of making sure it's, you know, completely legally right. The contingencies are there. The the paperwork is there. The um, negotiation goes like it's supposed to go. All of those sorts of things. So uh, I think if you took the other one, Anthony, you maybe want to take this one too, just because you'll get a different perspective and also just additional education, which is always good. Uh, by the way, if you belong, if you're a listener and you belong to one of the RIA mastermind groups, you should go to your group's site tomorrow. It won't be up there today. Uh, and sign up for that because if you're a member, it's cheaper. Uh, if you are not a member of one of those groups, you can go to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com and get signed up there. And it is online, so I don't care where you're listening from. You can find all this stuff out, too. Uh, let's see. Um, another question. Actually, this is sort of a, a, um, a series of questions about things that could happen later after you bought the subject, too. And I'm Jacob, I'm really glad you asked this. Because nobody thinks about this kind of stuff until it happens to them. Well, Kathy does because she's uh, she was trained as an attorney, so she she thinks through all this stuff. 
So here's Jacob's series of questions. How do you protect yourself from the, I, I think he means, um, seller declaring bankruptcy after you have bought his house subject to? Great question. Uh, that is in, and I, you know, I guess there are people who do subject twos probably a bunch of different ways. For the way I do it, that is all addressed in the paperwork. Um, because we do leave the seller as the beneficiary in, in a fictional sort of way, that is addressed that if the seller files bankruptcy, the, um, the assignment becomes effective immediately retroactive which theoretically takes it out of the bankruptcy. But I will tell you, I have had it happen, uh, and and it, it depends on the bankruptcy judge how well they want to respect that. In most cases, they have, and they've treated it as, as contractually no longer being under the seller's control. Uh, I did have one case where they didn't look at it that way, um, but and we had to petition the bankruptcy court, but it was successful because of the paperwork that we had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, have you? So you have had sellers who declared bankruptcy post subject to. Okay, so 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 have yeah, I m- many times. So so have I, and uh, I don't do the thing about leaving the seller as beneficiary. But and I, th- I'll tell you that terrified me. The idea of the seller's going to declare bankruptcy and the bank has the right to foreclose even if the payments are current and they might do it in a Chapter Seven because. Yep. If they let the chapter seven go all the way through, then they no longer have a note and they might feel like that was not a secure position for them. So they might go ahead and foreclose and that would be terrible because then I would lose my house, blah, 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 blah. My experience in having three sellers declare bankruptcy has been none of that came to pass. They, they went ahead and their, their attorney said, yeah, uh, you don't own the house anymore, so it's not going to be part of your bankruptcy estate, but you do owe on the note, so we need to put that on the filing. And I just kept making payments like nothing had happened, and the bank kept taking them like nothing had happened. Exactly. And like I said, out of all the times I've seen it happen, one time the attorney didn't agree, but when they got to the judge, he did. And so that's exactly how we ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you protect yourself against your seller dying? You know what? It, it's kind of the same. All this is, is handled in the verbiage. So if the seller dies, it his it just rolls over to the estate and, and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen multiple times, too. Yeah, and the, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get an heir who doesn't understand it, and they're going to think they have some kind of rights. And then once they ultimately get an attorney, he's going to he or she is going to school them, and and it'll, it'll go on as if nothing happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and if your seller isn't the beneficiary, it your seller dying has no effect on the deal. You just keep making the payments. <laughs> other other than yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than you know, if later on you were to need them to sign something, obviously that would be an issue. Um, how do you protect yourself against pesky adult children contesting their deceased parents' contract <laughs> with you? <laughs> it, it's it's the same. It's really the same answer. You know, they they don't have any standing. I mean, they can try, but I've never. I, first of all, I don't think. I, I can never recall any serious contest. Uh, most most of the times, once we explained it to the heirs, they just 
understood. I think maybe once or twice they had to get an attorney, and any attorney who reads the paperwork is going to understand it and in pretty short order explain it to their client. Mm-hmm. And for your last question, uh, Jacob, I cannot answer that on the air because that would be me giving a recommendation, and we don't really do that here on public radio. But um, yeah, talk to me. Talk to me about it at a meeting. I will tell you the the one one weirdest uh, the one weirdest post closing thing that I wasn't prepared for, but you can bet it's in my documents now, is uh, a divorce court. I got called, uh, and luckily it was kind of on the end of COVID, so I got called by a judge who demanded that I come up here in her courtroom, which was that day, which was, by the way, like some five hours away, and she was not happy, (laughs) and um, I was the trustee of the trust, and she did not know how to distribute the debt in uh, in North Carolina. Wow. We have, when you get divorced, it's, it's a marital distribution. And luckily, she let me appear by phone eventually, and I just I had to explain to her how to distribute the debt, which is you don't because somebody else had assumed it. But And, and then I, I now write that in my documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that may have only ever happened to you in the history of subject to deals. That's yeah, a- probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that is a completely, uh, yeah, that's, that's the first time I've ever heard that. But now I know what to do, I guess. Should it ever. That is one I didn't plan for. <laughs> <laughs> Should it ever happen to me? Um, okay, so here's another super common question. The do on sale clause, or as we call it around here, the dreaded do on sale clause. <laughs> Isn't it true so that the due on sale clause makes it illegal to buy property subject to? No, 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 no. There's so much misinformation about the due on sale clause. But since you asked it that way, the first thing is, is there's no due on sale jail. It's not illegal in a criminal sense in any way, shape or form. The, the, the wording allows the bank to accelerate the debt if the property is transferred. And, and here is a few, a few key points that you need to understand. The wording in that deed of trust does not say anything that you've heard said. It doesn't say if I deed my property to someone else. It doesn't say if I sell my property. It says this. If there is a transfer of beneficial interest, okay? Again, with the way we do our paperwork, which, by the way, my paperwork came out of years of my clients, probably about 50 of them, being called onto the carpet by the North Carolina Attorney General's office, who at one time was on an absolute tear against this and really, really seeking out and going after people. And every time we successfully negotiated, and then they tried to pass a law, which didn't pass, but everything in my system is done to where if that law would have passed, it would still comply. So the key thing here is there is no transfer of beneficial interest because we set up this legal fiction that keeps the property sort of just held in abeyance so long as that mortgage is in place, and it just keeps everybody protected. But it, And then, you know, so no, it's not illegal. It's not unethical. It's not fraud. There are plenty of, um, of court cases across the entire country that even find things like 
lawyers can help clients do this without disclosing it to the lender. And, there, there, you know, there's no duty on the part of anyone, not your attorney, not the seller, not you, to advise the lender that that the property has been transferred in any way, shape, or form. So there's all kinds of answers to this question, and it's another really long one that we could spend a lot of time on. But the really quick and simple bottom line is if your paperwork's tight and the the worst that's going to happen is the lender's going to send a letter and it's going to say, we see you've transferred your property. We're going to accelerate your debt. Well, in, in the case of the way I do it, I, as the trustee, would simply send a copy of the paperwork we have done and it would end the problem. And And then the other thing is, as a practical matter, in all the years and all the thousands of these that I've done, that has happened three times that a letter was sent. In all three cases, it was a, a small like, sort of local credit union. They, they mm. maybe tend to, I don't know. Uh, no, I know exactly what happened. I know exactly what happened because the only, the, I've, I've also had three calls from lenders over the years. Um, I've had four calls and two of them were from small banks or credit unions. And here's, here's the reason. They actually st- still own their own loan. And they actually have one person in that bank whose job it is to collect all the mortgage payments every month and enter them. Unlike Citibank, who isn't even servicing yeah. loans they own and who runs your checks through a machine if you even still pay by check. And and that that person at the little small bank, and I always call her Myrtle because that's just how I, I always think of it, her as a Myrtle, um, picks up the check and goes, well, that's weird. Mike's mortgage is being paid by Vino right now. Huh. I wonder what happened. And then she starts digging around and she figures out that Vina bought the house and blah, blah, blah. Um, that will never happen with a Citibank or a Bank of America or they don't, they don't even look at the checks. But at the little banks, they no. do. And, and if you think, <laughs> if you think a big servicer is going to even look at anything, if they're getting their payments, <laughs> there's no way. They don't even know what each other department is doing. So, um, the, the bottom line is, practically speaking, it is a very infinitesimal chance that it would happen. And if your deal is structured correctly, it will not be a problem. In all three of those cases where I got a call, I simply sent them a copy of our documents and it ended the matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Kathy, we need to take another quick break. Um, I guess I'm going to ask if anybody else wants to send in questions, although I don't think we're going to get through the ones we already have. Uh, askvina at gmail.com is the way to do that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking subject twos today with Kathy Russell. We're apparently going to have to do this again, Kathy, because every time I delete a question because we answered it, like two new ones pop up. It's like a question hydra here. Um, or people can just come to your all day Saturday on uh, April 22nd and uh, get the information there. Um this is a, we're, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage here because, uh, this, this show is happening at the same time as that creative deal school that Bill and I are doing. And so some of these questions are like super duper advanced and complicated. Um, he, he's, he's, uh, Zach says, my question is if I bought a property subject to the existing loan, 
and I got a seller second at really good terms that I wanted to keep. And then the bank called the loan due. How could I put a new private lender into first lien position to pay off the bank loan, keeping my seller in second lien position? And then he gives a, a, a possibility that would probably work, but is overly complex. Zach, the answer is you just, when you give that, when you write up that mortgage with the set, with the seller, you just write right into it that if you need to get a new first to replace the, uh, existing first, that the seller will agree to fall back into second position because that's what's going to happen. You're going to pay off the first seller falls into first position. But if in his agreement, it's, that's, that's a fairly common thing to have in mortgages. Absolutely common. In fact, if that makes you nervous, you could even have them sign a subordination agreement up front. So yeah, that's very simple actually. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just put subordination language right into the mortgage and note with yes, the seller absolutely. anyway. So, um, yeah, that, that thing you were suggesting, Zach, very creative, but probably more than <laughs> you need to, <laughs> uh, do. So here's a, here's a, there's a really like, um, perceptive question from Angel. She says, what questions should we ask these attorneys to figure out what their capabilities are in terms of closing subject twos? <laughs> Man, that's a great question. I, I guess to start with, ask them, have they done them and do they understand them? And if you have enough of a basic understanding of them, you'll, you'll know by the answer if they do or not. I, I'd say, you know, for one thing, if an attorney is telling you to put it in your own name, that's a big red flag. That if, if they're telling you to deed it into your name personally, just don't even waste any more time with them. And, I, and I've heard that done a lot. And um, then just, yeah, you know, ask them how, what, what sort of documents they use, what, what sort of paperwork they recommend, how do they protect the seller. Because here's one thing. I, I spoke at a, listen, I spoke at a, a live subject to thing one time, and they, they had a few speakers on the topic. And the first person really got up there and, and told it completely wrong. And, I mean, I, I'm sort of a direct person, unfortunately, and I got up there and said, yeah, that was all wrong. The person who was leading the, the subgroup actually uh, held that against me for a very long time and ended up having really bad consequences for me in the long run. But I was given good information, you know. So the thing is, uh, there there's no downside to an attorney who's going to go out there and tell you the wrong thing. And and on that day, the, the person who I, I guess I was – not really delicate enough with said, well, tell me the statute that says you can't do that. But again, just because something's not illegal doesn't mean you can do it. The question you have to ask yourself is there's no statute that says it's illegal or it's criminal. No, but if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of the attorney general's office and they are saying, okay, this person has a deed in their name and the mortgage is in the seller's name, and so there, if the person who owns the property stops paying the mortgage, the seller has no way to get the deed back. So you, you just, if if an attorney can explain to you how he or she are, is protecting both parties, then and to your satisfaction, then that would be your person. Yeah, and and note all listeners, all of you, note she said protecting 
both parties, <laughs> not just you. Yeah. Because e- even if it even if it wasn't the case that a a judge and jury would not look kindly upon you defaulting on somebody else's loan and their credit getting ruined and basically nothing happening to you. I mean, you'll lose the house, but you know you didn't make the payments. You're gonna lose the house, right? Um, it, it has always it's it's always seemed drastically unfair to me. That sellers, the way substitutes are being taught out in the world, have no recourse if you don't make your if you don't make their payments, and and that has led to that. I know you've had these. I've I've seen the articles. I know you've had these in the Carolinas. We have we've had a couple in Ohio. It's really popular in Florida. They're straight up scam artists who go and put properties under contract, subject to close them, rent them out, and never make a payment on the seller's loan. And that was intentional. That wasn't yep. like, and, you know, oops. And unfortunately for all of us good investors who are helping sellers and helping people get into houses, that is what gives all of us a bad name. That's what makes Attorney General go after us in the first place. So we have to work double hard to prove ourselves. So I would say, you know, exactly what Vina just said. And I would also submit that not only should you not be only worried about protecting yourself, you should be more worried about the seller and protecting the seller because that has benefits for you as well. That's what's going to keep you safe, legal, and and if you do suit or something happens or someone calls you onto the carpet to answer for this, you can show the seller's completely protected. The seller can get this property back with a phone call if I stop making payments. And you can go and honestly say that, and it'll be the truth. And, and, you know, who's going to who's gonna hold that against you? And that's not a bad thing to be able to tell the seller. You know, when the seller oh, starts... great bargaining point, yeah. <laughs> when the but seller starts saying things definitely... like, how do I know you're going to make my payments? Instead of saying, well, I promise. You say, well, let me show you what my attorney put together. Because if I don't make them... Exactly. I... I always advise my uh, clients to to absolutely use that. Not only that, well, I'm going to be put – normally, if you're getting a subject to property, it's either distressed or needs a lot of work or it's in foreclosure and you're going to spend, you know, $30,000 to reinstate the mortgage. So, well, you know, Ms. Seller, I'm going to put all this money and all this work into your property, and if I don't make my payments, I would lose all that. That's great. But if you can also say – and by the way – if I don't make the payment, if I'm 30 days late on a payment, you don't have to evict, you don't have to foreclose, you just have to call the trustee, and you legally get the property back. Now, it's a little more complicated than that. It's more than this call has time to go into. But legally speaking, they, you will become the owner of the property with a phone call and no legal process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will love that. And I wish everybody was doing it that way because then the scam artists would be more obvious than they are. Right. The, 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 the people who didn't do that, we would just <laughs> automatically know that they were probably trying to be scam artists. Um, I mean, it, it used to be so that I couldn't even listen to people or read that other stuff about the way they're doing it. It would just make my blood boil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Kathy, we have about one minute, and so I'm going to ask a a, a very uh, easy question because I see this uh, all all the time online. Um, there's no laws at all anywhere about buying property subject to right. Like we don't even have to worry about that. <laughs> 
That's a good question. I've been trying to research different state laws for for my upcoming seminar, and it's really hard to do because the language, if you put in subject to, it's, it's so common, it's hard to research. I, I, Some states have laws that specifically permit it. I ha- and I'm going to say this with a big disclaimer because my research is in its nascent stages. I don't know of any states that outright prohibit it. To my knowledge, North Carolina, the law they tried to pass, it would not have prohibited it. It would have severely curtailed it. And to my knowledge, there's no law out there that specifically prohibits it. There certainly are laws in some jurisdictions about how to do it and, and protections that have mm-hmm. to be in place. And sometimes and I, I'm hoping to find and, more information. And sometimes, like in North Carolina, there's some laws limiting what you can do with the property after you have bought it, subject to. So, yes, there are laws. You guys need to know what they are. We need to go. Kathy, thank you for your time. Look forward to uh, learning from you at your April 22nd all-day Saturday. Again, check your local RIA to see if they are participating. If not, you can get a ticket at CincinnatiRIA.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>